Welcome back to Hoops Journey. Uh, sitting down today with a guy who has a rich history in, uh, in basketball in our country and in our province of BC. Some cool stories about, you know, basketball through his lineage with his dad, starting out some pretty amazing camps way back in the day. And, and uh, a true historian himself just became a basketball junkie, ended up uh, competing for Canada and playing for the UVic Vikes, which we'll get into. We have none other than Mr. Jeff McKay with us today. How are you, sir? Uh, historian or, or historic? I'm wondering which I am, but uh, good to be here. <laughs> well, prehistoric, maybe. Yeah, we'll let the listeners decide. Hey, we'll go with that. <laughs> Sounds good. How's life, man? You uh, just came off a nice vacation, looking well rested and relaxed. As we just came off finishing our season, and I'm not well rested, so we're in different spots there. But how are things? You're out in Ontario. What is life like? You know, we're in a place now where. <laughs> Masks aren't mandatory out in public and, and things are kind of getting back to our, our regular ways. So how are you feeling in terms of that transition for yourself? It's a very welcome transition for sure. I was actually down in Miami a couple of weeks ago and down there, you would never know it even happened. So Ontario, we're a bit behind the curve, which, you know, we're in the side of caution. I get that. You know, it's been, it, it, you know, there's a there's a, a sort of a continuum we've all been on during this whole path the last couple of years. And it's, I don't think it's been good for anybody. But for me, you know, pretty fortunate. No major illnesses and with, with close family. I, I have a nice, comfortable place to, to work from at home. Now we're getting back to the office, which is great, which is, you know, what I like about working, being being with the team, traveling with the team. So that part's been nice. And, you know, but it has been a time of isolation. I think that was very difficult for me at first, but welcomed in the latter part of it in that I I, I met my girlfriend during that uh, time, so which is kind of unique given the circumstances. So that's what I'll be reflecting on uh, in years to come, uh, that I was lucky enough to, to meet her. So that's been good. How does one meet someone in isolation? Did you break, did you break some rules? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was post the isolation period. And okay. I, I met her like everybody meets people now on an app. So Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I agree, you know, just sort of being able to be with other people and, and around the teams, you know, talk a little bit about that for what you do for work and why that's important to, you know, the Zoom is great to get a few things accomplished, but that face-to-face interaction where we're picking up on body language and people's energy is so vital, especially with what you do. So talk a little bit about yeah, I, why I that matters to you. Yeah. Yeah. I work in finance and investing. And it's not, I don't invest in like, you know, shares of Microsoft. We invest in companies where we have teams of us generally go out and meet those companies, teams of five or six of us. And there is a camaraderie from our side, just being together as a team, but also meeting, you know, someone you're going to invest in and and be in their lives and vice versa for five, six, seven years. You know, there's an energy and, and as you said, body language that you pick up meeting those companies as well. That's just totally different. There's, there's a lot, a lot of part of our job, you know, you probably can do remotely, uh, and that's fine and maybe in some ways more efficient, but, you know, we work in what I would call an apprenticeship industry where you learn by watching others, the more senior to you, that's hard to do remotely, number one. But more importantly to me, it's just not as fun. I mean, I think we are all social creatures and it's just <laughs> more fun being together than sitting on a, on a, on a laptop all afternoon. So uh, I've missed that, but it's, it's good to be back with people. Let's get into it here. Sure. Let's go. Let's go back into the vaults. Not necessarily prehistoric, but uh, you have some great stories. You have some great connections to a lot of great basketball players. A lot of cool things that happened. And and tell us about your growing up, your upbringing, and how you sort of. I mean, 
not that you didn't have a choice, but it just sort of <laughs> became part of who you were because of your, your family history, correct? Yeah, my dad, well, my dad was, was a coach. He, uh, I don't know how many people this is true of, certainly a few I'm guessing, but he had, he had a boys championship uh, in the single A back when it was just single A and double A in, in Hope. And then a girls double A again, it was only single A and double A in Penticton championship. So both sides of it. And he played himself at UBC, which gets me an annual request from Kevin Hansen for donations, which I remind him I went to UVic. Um, <laughs> Go Vikes, by the way, Canada yeah, West champs. Yes, I talked to Craig. I talked to Craig Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, good for him, man. He's he's stuck through it, man. He's been through a lot, and for him to get that, that's a nice one. Anyways, sidebar. Well, that's there, really but, good. So I'm a big yeah. supporter. Of that. But anyways, so Dad was a coach, uh, and I, from the minute that I, my earliest memories are being with a basketball. That basketball was with me from the age of I don't know three, four, five, whatever. And I, we had a hoop in the basement at first, and then out in the driveway from. A very early age, I'd be out there, rain or sleet or sun or by myself at six, seven years old, hours a day, just shooting by myself. Um, I was the statistician on my dad's team when I was six, seven years old. So I'd be sitting on the bench and traveling with the team, which I'm sure people found a little bit strange. It seemed normal to me because that was kind of what I was into. And I would watch any game I could watch on TV or in person. I would, I was subscriber, a subscriber to magazines, all of which are now defunct. When I was 78 years old, like Basketball Weekly, Basketball Times, Basketball Digest, all of them. So I consumed my posters on my wall were not back in the day, you know, Farrah Fawcett or Kiss or anything. It was the Iceman and Dr. J. So I was just consumed by it. I would not go anywhere without my basketball. I slept with it. I took it to school, dribbled. And, you know, I'm sure people thought, again, it was somewhat strange for sure. Um, You like the stats side of things, though. Hey, it was fun. I was the, yes, I was the first analytics guy, I guess. Yeah, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah no, I, I did. I was always a numbers guy. I kept stats and everything, even just watching on TV, I'd keep stats and just very much into that side of things. And it was just a way for me to be around the team, which I really loved as a little kid. Yeah. And I think you're touching on something that's super cool. And obviously, you know, we've got to know each other over the last little bit and sort of just high school basketball and how those guys for me too, in our, in our neighborhood growing up around, you know, the area of centennial guys that were playing for Richie and, you know, we had the only flat driveway. So they would all come and shoot. Like those were my heroes too, you know? And it's like, you're instantly got these 12, 13, 14 young men for you to look up to and kind of emulate and be like, right. It wasn't, you know, it's like, okay, well, there's, there's the ice man. He's great, but I've got this guy like literally physically in the gym every day that I get to see and watch. Yeah, so I would be at a lot of practices when I was a little kid, and we would go to the BCs. I think even then it was a Coliseum, some of them. Yeah. Back in the day, I remember watching Howard Kelsey break the scoring record in 75. He broke a, the record actually was held by a dad, a guy my dad coached at Hope. So I remember watching that and rooting against Howard, who, which is ironic now that we, we've been friends for so many years. <laughs> so actually, I had this conversation with my, with my girlfriend the other day. We were talking about a friend was in the Alberta high school championships. And I was, she, we started talking about the importance of that. And she was, she's not a basketball person. She was saying like, well, it's high school basketball. Is that a big deal? I'm like, you don't understand that. That, that was my whole goal, the whole from four till 18. And to this day, the game I regret losing the most is my grade 12 year in the BCs. I mean, that was, yeah. and if you hadn't, if you haven't been in basketball and again, my dad was a high school coach. His friends were all high school coaches or a lot of them. And we go again to the BCs every year. I mean, that's, I, you know, I was the kid in Penticton. I would, my mom would drop me off at the, you know, there'd be the Penticton Christmas tournament. You know, you have your four, eight team tournament, you have your four games Friday. And then if the four 
winners and losers play Saturday morning, and then the, the, the in the afternoon you have the, the the finals and everything. I'd be there the, all every one of those games, not with my dad. Just my mom would just drop me off, mm-hmm. and I'd sit there. You know, the 8 a.m. game on Saturday morning, there'd be the the teams and their families, and that'd be about it. And me, <laughs> just sitting there as a ten year old. And uh, we we you know I talked once. Uh, I remember a couple times the the All Star Committee members would come over over to me and say. I'd be 10 years old. They say, well, you were here this morning. How, how did that guy really play? And, you know, they, they knew me because they knew my dad and I'd give my opinion. So kind of a little, <laughs> little gym rat is over is, is uh, understating it. Probably I was always around. Did you think and reflect back maybe that uh, just watching the game at such a young age, do you think that helped your basketball career in terms of being able to find little seams or things or. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I was never the greatest athlete at all, so I would much more relied on knowing the game and and uh, and developing skills and shooting and that kind of thing. Yeah, because I was not certainly outquicking anybody or overpowering anybody. So yeah. uh, that's kind of what I relied on. Yeah, for sure. I tell the kids all the time too, like watch other high school games, watch U Sport, watch NC two A. Not that the NBA is you know, poison or anything, but that's more relative to what you're seeing and playing, right? These kids, these young men play zone, they change it up, you know, they make mistakes, they miss free throws, you can see them in panic modes and things like that. So I agree, like being able to just expose yourself to that and seeing all that at that age, when you get out on the court, it's like, without just sort of instinctively, you're like, I think I've seen this before already. And you're not sure and your body just reacts. So I think that's a really cool thing about, you know, where your brain was so early on with that. Yeah, and I, you know, I was I was lucky as well because my dad, you know, was a coach, but he was also, you know, he was vice principal of school, so he knew the other coaches. So I, you know, Fred Fedorik, who, who I know, yes, you know, yes. he let me attend some of their practices when I was like grade six, grade seven, and and um, so, you know, I was pretty lucky there, right? That not every kid gets that opportunity. Now, now I probably took advantage of it, but without that entree, uh, I wouldn't have had the chance. Shout out, Coach Fedorik, great guy came up many summers to do the UBC camp with Kev and had some good, good times and good memories. And what a, what a nice human being that guy gave so much time to the game. Such a good, oh, he's a great man. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Before we jump into your sort of high school years, I think there's some cool stuff with your dad going back, you know, and especially the time and hope there with a certain clinic. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that is, I think that is just so cool about what he was able to do and the people he was able to get up and uh, you know, I, ahead of his time and his thinking and, and sort of, when we think about the clinics that we see today, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it really is kind of a unique thing. And I, you know, I've heard a couple of your guests, you know, that, that were coaching back then beyond it. And they all, they all bring it up. And, you know, I've talked to Ken Shields about it, who I'm very close with. He's, we've traded some stories about it. So, so what happened was there were some coaching clinics at UBC, held by UBC and SFU uh, back then. And according to my dad, there'd be like, you know, 50, 60 coaches come and they'd be in Vancouver. And then he and Stan Stewartson were close. They played baseball together at UBC. And when Stan got the U, uh, the SFU job, sorry, my dad said to him, well, why don't we do this clinic in Hope? It's much more central. It'll be better for the pro- provincial basketball coaching acumen because it's it's accessible for more people across the province, not just people in the lower mainland. And and Hope is a – I can get the gyms and uh, hotels are cheap there. You can get there Friday morning and be home by Saturday night. So they started – Stan agreed. They started doing it and running it, and it was it was doing fine. But the big breakthrough was in I guess the fall of '76, uh, which the date is kind of important, which I'll explain in a second. My dad <laughs> wrote Al McGuire. He must have done it before the fall, but it was held in the fall of '76. He wrote Al McGuire on SFU letterhead. Al McGuire was the coach of Marquette then. 
and he'd been in an NCAA final. He was very well known. He eventually became a broadcaster for those who are, don't remember him, a very colorful guy. And he was sort of a free spirit. And he said, my dad said, come to this clinic. It'll be great. And he did. And this is before the days where, you know, Nike and Adidas sponsored any of these things. My dad paid him 500 bucks to come to Hope. Nobody else would have done it. He was just such a weird thinker. And he came and he loved it. And now that happened. I mentioned the date because that happened to be the year Marquette won the national championship in the, in the spring of 77. Al McGuire, at the age of 41, retired, making his legend all the greater. I mean, imagine a national championship coach retiring today at 41 years old. And he did to become a broadcaster. And, and, and I would be involved in that. I was nine years old then, I guess. And I'd be my dad's kind of gopher assistant. I'd help him with the mailing of the, of the brochures and help him collect the money. And when the event was on, I'd sit, I'd sit in. I'd, I'd get to run drills with certain coaches if they wanted me. I'd sit and listen to other coaches. And there's no, there's no other kids there. I'm, this is nine-year-old kids <laughs> sitting there. And uh, Al McGuire himself said to my dad, uh, this is great, but who's that kid? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, that's my son. And Al McGuire sent me a whole box of swag. And he was just like the greatest guy. So then once he had done it, well, now there's ultimate credibility. So yeah. the next year, my dad got Dean Smith to come. And he actually is pretty proud of this. That year, he had Dean Smith and Jack Donahue. So the, both the U.S. Oof. and Canada Olympic coaches from the previous Olympics at the same time. So that's a pretty that's cool, cool thing. I remember seeing Jack Donahue because I got to know Jack Donahue through those camps. And when I played at UVic, uh, sorry, uh, TSN would televise games and he would be the commentator. He's like, I know you. You're the kid from Hope. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. That is that's super um, cool. So he got him. He got Jerry Tarkanian. He got Larry Brown. So it became a real thing. And um, I think really did contribute to the coaching element of that time. I mean, I think another part of it was good that it was in hope, right? It, it, not everyone went home at night every night to their kids and the coaches got to know each other b b better. And uh, I think it was a real contribution to the community back then. Wow. You just made a great point there. First of all, Al McGuire was an amazing announcer. I used to love it, yeah. right? Remember the, when he did like the, was it the cues in the house with uh, John yeah. Wallace and those guys? Yeah. He, was a, he was a super character. Secondly, what's a, what's the bill for getting today's Al McGuire after winning a national championship? I, I can't even imagine what that would be for about 500 bucks. Um, and three, you bring up a crazy point. We had our, our executive meeting to end the season here. And one of the things we talked about was there's no opportunity for collaboration with our coaches, right? We don't get to see each other. You know, the BCs yeah. is a great time, but we're all, if you're in it, you're exhausted and you're watching film and getting teams ready, but that's really the only time we're all sort of in the building together. And so one of the things we want to bring back back is a, is a, is a coaching clinic and having a social and yeah. yeah, you make a good point in talking about how many people have mentioned that clinic and other clinics as well, where, you know, I would just go to super camp and be a coach at super camp because it was in Victoria and we stayed in residence and then, you know, shields would have us out for dinner or we'd all go socialize and talk and strategy and laugh. And we are missing a lot of that. And that's a, you know, you make a great, great point with that stuff. And I, and I think it's something that we need to work on and be better at. Yeah, no, that was good. All right. So you young man, basketball is coming around talk about those years and uh i think it's also very cool about the okanagan and some of the players you end up playing against i mean you've got some of bc and canada's all-time greats within you know hours distance driving and and you know i think it's very very cool and and a lot of listeners maybe don't know about the okanagan in terms of what basketball was like and i know there's pockets of time where it's been better yeah. and worse but you were there in a pretty good time yeah i mean my grade 12 year 
we were ranked number one. Uh, Vernon was ranked number two, and Vernon had J.D. Jackson, a very good friend of mine, and a guy named Brian Kruger who played for UVix, big, a uh, big six-eight guy, and then a, a bunch of guys that played college as well. And then Kelowna was number three in the province with Mike Clark and Al Lalonde and Mark Ostrup, a bunch of guys, Mike Parkins. Actually, Scotty Clark was on that team. Yes. Um, and at the and, same time, Oliver with Spencer was number one in the, in the single A. This is only the only double A and single A that year. So you think about that. From those years, you know, we eventually we played in the in the junior national team uh, on the junior national team, sorry, in 87. There was, from from that one league, there was five of us that were on the on the on the junior national team. Think about that. In I mean, BC barely gets a guy now, right? So yeah. from the Okanagan. Now, of course, uh, in AA, we only got one and a half births to the VCs. So I was just uh, going to say, yeah, one is Kelowna, Kelowna didn't even get a didn't get a chance, and then uh, Vernon had to go to I think they'd play like Quinell or somebody on the way to Vancouver. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> and by the way, I, I believe, as I recall, they got scheduled for the eight thirty a.m. game the first day as well. So yeah. Nice. Well treated. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a really exciting. It was a very exciting time. And what did that look like? Were you so spread out that you didn't get to compete against those guys a lot? Did you make an effort to try to find the same gyms? Um, you obviously had a key and a dad, so you could get a gym anytime you wanted. What was that? What was that like? How many times did you face those guys? And uh, and what were your, you know, outside of that, how did you raise the bar as well for all the other guys in, in, in your local neighborhood and area. So you had the best team possible. Yeah. I mean, so we didn't play like on a, on, you know, pickup together or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Spencer and I knew each other because Oliver's quite close to Penticton and our dads knew each other. They're both coaches and vice principals or principals. So he and I knew each other from grade six or something. We would, we would play, but we wouldn't get together regularly that often. And, and the, the other guys, I knew them all, uh, but we wouldn't get together. It wasn't really like that you were pretty isolated uh, in that sense. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing we've, you know, we've talked to a lot of people from smaller communities. Does that just become then what separates yourself is that internal drive and, and sort of passion to want to compete and get better. I mean, how do, how do we hear about these, these men and women that come from the small communities end up being really good basketball players? Was it, was it internally? Was it? Yeah. I mean, I think we each, it's a time where each of us, if I think about it, I mean, you know, Spencer's dad was involved with his school. My dad was involved with our, with our, and I don't mean at the high school, but the, like they all started mini ball programs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> JD's dad did as well. And those didn't, didn't happen that much. Right? JD's dad was a coach as well. So I think that, I think it was a unique time and that the guy, the, the, the parents of some of us drove it. And, you know, those small communities, you can really emphasize what sports people concentrate on. If there's a great coach and leader in the community, Penticton's, I know had a good run of volleyball and Penticton, you know, we haven't been to the BCs in many, many years now. So the basketball has been, I think they've been once since I graduated, believe it mm -hmm. or not. So that's kind of, you know, things, volleyball is probably more emphasized. I would love to see that change, obviously, but I, I really do think in those communities, it's, it's a kind of a grassroots thing. Spencer's actually doing that now in Penticton, Summerland area. Yep. Um, so that's good. Yeah, but you need that kind of leadership or else it, it, it tends to die in the vine. Yeah, such a good point. Die in the vine. I see what you did there, Okanagan vine. Yeah, I see. What <laughs> there you, you go. Did. Yeah, okay, all right. Good point, though. I mean, yeah, it's it, by grade 10, it's too late. You got to get those kids sort of at least exposed to the game and into it at an early age. And then for yourself, you've already brought up a little bit of, you've talked about the word regret in, in high school and those games. So those grade 11, 12 years, you know, making it to the provincials and having some different experiences talk about that for you and your teammates i know 
<laughs> your body language just changed. So maybe we'll keep oh. it short on this. Well, we had the same experience. We lost to Killarney both years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. uh, but, but grade 11, we, you know, we were, we, we won, we won the Okanagans both years and we had a good team in grade 11, but we were, we were not favored to win. And it was a very talented year in the province. Killarney was really talented. Windsor with Dave Lodgins was talented. It was the year Gareth Davies went nuts in the finals, the, the oh, big yeah. Steve's and Richmond game. Oh, yeah. But we, you know, we became, we, we, we won a game and then we lost a couple. So we were not a favored team. The next year, we, we, at the beginning of the year, we weren't supposed to be, we weren't ranked in the top 10, I don't believe, but we were number one very quickly. The only game we lost before the BCs was to Vernon, who we beat three times, I think. Um, so we were pretty heavy favorites and, and we got upset. Mm-hmm. I believe one of your recent guests had a, played a part in that Karn, and he gave me he had me three fouls in the first five minutes of our game, and I had sat out a bunch against Killarney. Uh, two Dylan. two off the ball charging fouls, as I recall. But um, <laughs> take that up with him, sir. I think it was him. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a bit of cover. But uh, but yeah, that, so but we we lost and that we ended up losing two games the whole year, but we lost that one at the wrong time, and they got really hot, and we we got down when I was out by. 20 something and I came back and we caught back up but we ended up losing. I don't think people realize how hard it is and how many things have to fall in line to make like a title run at any level, right? Which yeah. you experienced on in the good and bad, which we'll get into, but there's so many things that have to come into play for yourselves and you know a bad quarter, you know whatever it is can can turn things upside down in a hurry no matter what your season's like, right? It's it's an interesting yeah. thing and I think it's it's sickening cuz it's <laughs> It's what keeps us coming back, but it's also what keeps us entertained and, and why we love the game, right? Is the, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, at what point were you thinking, you know what? I'm, I mean, obviously, it goes without saying from six years old, basketball has been a huge part of your life. But when were you thinking like, all right, so after these high school years, what are my opportunities? How did that come to fruition for yourself and the recruiting process to sort of because, I mean, you're underplaying your skills as well. You've mentioned other people. You've mentioned your buddies. But, I mean, you are straight-up hooper. You could fill it. Uh, yeah. Anyone that wants to Google you can see some of your numbers when you're at UVic. Um, you had some monster games in high school. But yeah. there's obviously attention. What was that like, being from a small community, and how were you able to figure it out? Well, I got a lot of attention because uh, I, I think I was uh, – uh, well, I was considered the, the top recruit in the province that year. Um, so I got a lot of attention – a little bit in the U.S. because, you know, John Mills, he had earlier talked about us going down to the U.S. and playing. We were, I was on the first of those teams that went down to the VCI tournament in Arizona. So got a little exposure, which was awesome of him to expose us to that. So from the U.S., I had a bit of interest, the main one being Stanford. You know, I knew it was a good school, but I didn't really, this is pre-internet, obviously. I didn't realize the, <laughs> <laughs> the stature of it. Yeah. And they offered me a half scholarship. Now, the other half of that was like 17,000 US, which was a lot of money. Yeah. And and again, I didn't, I, again, I knew Stanford was a good school. I got in, uh, it was, I, I think I told you this I, uh, yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, University of Texas of San Antonio recruited me as well. And the, the coach there, they were a new division one program at the time. And the coach, I told him the other school in the US that was recruiting me was Stanford. And he said, well, you kind of like chuckle with you. You know how hard it is to get in there? I'm like, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess, I mean, I, but I was, you know, I was sort of, the, I was the top, top student in, in my grade at Penn High. Can we talk uh, so about the was, SAT score? Yeah, so, well, that's what he said. He said, uh, why don't you just write your SATs and get back to me? And he's kind of, then we'll talk about you going to Stanford. He was kind of a knowing like you, and yeah. then, then uh, I called him and he said, well, so you get it? I'm like, yeah, what'd you get? And I told him the score. He's like, 
all right, son, you're not coming here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. The Stanford thing, again, the, the, the reason they offered me a half scholarship was they were offering Todd Lichty a scholarship at the same time, who ended up becoming a four-time All-Pac-10 player. He was at my position. He's in the NCAA Basketball Hall of Fame. He was a lottery pick uh, or close to it. So that would not have worked out well for me. <laughs> so uh, within BC, it was really UVic and SFU. And SFU, you know, there was a, a relationship there with my dad and Stan Stewartson. They, they, as I said, had been teammates in university and baseball and, and really had been good friends ever since. Stan actually uh, at one point offered my dad a job at SFU as his assistant coach. So they were close. But at the same time, this is in the midst of the UVic run. I I'd met Ken. Ken had a camp in, in Penticton, and then I'd met him in, at UVic even when I was in grade nine or 10 or something. My dad took me there to see him. So, you know, I really respected him. Didn't know him as well as Stan, who had been, I'd stayed at Stan's house many times. I mean, I knew Stan very, very well. And um, eventually it just came down to the fact, you know, UVic did have that streak going. And I like the fact that they could compete for a championship in Canada. I, I thought that was really interesting. And the schools they were playing were, you know, UBC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, whatever. Those are schools I knew as opposed to some of the ones SFU played against. Both schools had a reputation of getting guys in the, in the national team program. That really was a focus of mine. But Ken at the time was personally very involved. He also had a way of teaching that I thought would be very good for me. He was very technical. Uh, Stan was more motivating kind of coach. So I don't know. I just added all that up and uh, I chose UVic. And it was a, a great decision in my mind. Even uh, the complicating even, factor being a little bit that yeah. <laughs> Stan was a little bit hurt by that, I think, because he and my dad were close. I mean, I'll give you an example. He came to my house when I was six. I mean, he came all the time. He was at my house when I was, I have it now, six years old. I <laughs> drug, dragged this out of a scrapbook my mom kept in, in prepping for this. And he made me, this is, he wasn't even at SFU yet. This is when he's still at North Delta. He had me sign a thing saying, I, Jeffrey McKay, promised to go to North Delta for my high school basketball. <laughs> and I signed it like I was six years old, <laughs> which is weird, uh, but, yeah, yeah. but kind of a funny joke, right? Yeah, Fine. Oh, yeah. But the odd thing was when he was recruiting me at SFU, he had kept this all these years and he brought it out and he showed oh, it to me man, and said, he, you, you, you know, again, it was a joke at this point, but he's, yeah, you yeah. promised me. I'm like, oh, wow, he kept that. Okay. He played the card on you. He did. <laughs> but it was, you know, a bit awkward when I didn't choose to go there. Mm -hmm. uh, and he and my dad really didn't speak for quite a long time after that. Um, yeah. So it was difficult. And that's tough. And, you know, for that to fall onto your shoulders a little bit, I mean, it's not on you. And, and I mean, in reflection, like going to UVic changed your life, right? So, you know, it came, it, you have no regrets in terms of that. It's just, I mean, no. that's a, a very uncomfortable situation that are not a lot of teenagers. I mean, who right now has a dad that's highly involved as a coach and is best friends with a university coach and has a son that can play well enough to go, you know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's a pretty unique thing. So tough to hear, but I mean, in the end, like life's about choices, right? And, and for you, was a great choice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then talk about that, right? So from good old Penn high down, the, down the way to UVic, I mean, a big transition, a big jump for anyone, but I mean, we're yeah. in a generation where, like you've mentioned, we've got SFU, we've got UVic and we've got UBC in all of BC for universities and then the colleges, right? So you're playing at a high level, obviously Ken Shields, you don't need to say more about his skill set and what he brings, but must've been a huge eye opener. It was, I mean, again, UVic's, I was there for the 
my, my first year was the last of the seven national championships and I was expected to come in. It's funny. I, I've been putting together some stuff for, for Corey Clemens is where he's going to the hall of fame. Oh, cool. Going through some, going through some old clip, clippings of, for him uh, to prep for that. And some of those involved me and <laughs> it was clear. I was expected to be a very Im- immediate impact recruit coming in. And in truth, I was not, which was the first time I'd hit a stumbling block like that. I mean, I, I started my first three games there and I scored double digits in each of them. But Ken then said, you know, what we actually need is somebody who can stop somebody and uh, exit Jeff, enter Randy Steele, who Ooh, was, was not a, a big recruiter, but was a very good, great, great defender. And him and Lloyd Scrubber, the backcourt. And that was the right coaching decision because we won the national championship. But and that was OK. I was very happy to be even though I had a bench role to be part of a national championship winner, like a good first year getting getting settled in, that was all great. But then the second year, we didn't have a good as good of a team. We didn't. That was the, the famous UVic team that didn't make the nationals for the first time when UBC beat us, and I wasn't a starter in that team either. And that at that point, I was starting to really reevaluate myself as a player. And I, you know, it, it, it's one thing to be a backup on a national championship winner as a as a rookie. Now you're your second year. And you're still not uh, achieving what you were expected to be achieving. That was hard to to sw- swallow. In fact, again, looking through this stuff for court, I do realize now Ken could have played me more. I did average seven points a game in eleven minutes. I'm like, well, but, but back then, but back then people didn't think of it that way, right? You didn't look at points per minute or anything. You're like, I'm not playing for a reason. And some of that was certainly defensive, but also just maybe being tentative on offense and overlaying that at the same time uh, on the junior national team. The world champions were 87, so that's the end of my second year. But we had that team together three summers, and I saw myself go from by far the top scorer the first year to, yeah, the top scorer, but not the dominant per player the second year. By the third year, which is the year you want to be good, I was a situational player off the bench. And Aaron, I can tell you what that situation very much depended on is either team playing zone defense. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but well, I looked at my trajectory there and sort of had to reevaluate things and say, you know, because, again, I'd come in with these, uh, again, looking through these articles for court, the, the guys I was always talking about in the same breath, breath uh, I'm talking six or seven articles, were Eli and Jay Triano. Mm-hmm. And, and I was not at their level in any way, shape, or form. And I realized at that point, just athletically, I would never be, and skill-wise, whatever, I would I was not going to be that player. So I had to sort of make a decision, which is, am I going to, you know, beat myself up over this repeatedly or, or try and enjoy the game more. And I chose the latter and it sort of unleashed me to be, you know, a good university player, maybe not what was expected, but, you know, three time all Canada West and, you know, honorable mention all Canadian, those, you know, scoring 18, 20 points a game, whatever it was. And that was a, a good role for me. And, but it, it did take me basically just relaxing and not putting all that pressure on myself and, and realizing that I was not going to be maybe what I was touted to be. Yeah. And, you know, some of that pressure probably from yourself and from others. And so a little bit unfair. So combo of both. And then I think, you know, having that fifth year makes such a difference, right? You, you know, you work your way through those first two, if you're in the States, it's like, you're a junior, you got two more to go. It's like, well, no, something about thinking, well, I've still got three years here. Like I have lots of time. And and I I have to say, having listened to some of your guys, the interviews you've done with people who've gone down to the States. I think it would have been a little bit a different situation, which is if you don't deliver your first two years, they're going to find a way to get somebody else in there. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, that's one thing about Canada and, and Ken, you know, he saw potential, I guess. And, you know, he was patient and, you know, just encouraged me to keep working at it. So it was good. So who did you lean on and how did you get the joy back? Was it just a sort of mental process in terms of like continually to think that over and over? Like how does one find the joy in the game again? Do they just go out and play open did, gym? Like how do you make that? Clear, I didn't lose joy in the game. I always, I always no, loved for the sure. game. And, but but yeah. it was just more, just yeah, what it was you're more saying. of the, just, I mean, I was still watching every game and reading everything about the game and huge gym rat and all that. But it was just a, a recognition that, and an acceptance really that you know the, the the player you thought you could become well and i've heard other guys in this on your thing go let me be double down more mm. i didn't choose that path mm. uh, i chose one of you know i've done well in other parts of my life school and that so i'm gonna you know i love i love the game i always will so i'm gonna enjoy it as much as i can i love being part of this team i really love my teammates um, I liked I liked uh, playing for Ken, even though not every day I did, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure he didn't like me me every day as well. But I did respect him, and that's what's important, right? I mean, I I I really did like being part of the Ubik Vikes, and you know, kind of, and, and I knew the third year, my third year, we had some guy Corb was coming back, we had some guys coming back, and we we we'd have a really good team, and I just wanted to be part of that. Um, yeah. So, but just with a different focus, and it just it almost let me breathe a little bit and just say, hey, one, you know, you're still capable and you can do some things so so enjoy that for what it is yeah yeah and i think too like just thinking about your story and being connected to the game at such a young age there's so much going on in your head and you loved it so much and then maybe creating these expectations for yourself can lead to a lot of stress i mean you're young you're a young man at this time right like you're barely old enough to to order a beer not that you would ever done that on a road trip but uh (laughs) you know and and then to be able to work through that i think is huge it says a lot about yourself too right a lot of people don't know how to manage through that or would go about it the wrong way or would just drop out and go, well, I'm going to go to like Laurentian or, you know, just sort of run away from the scenario. And you thought, actually, this is bigger than basketball. This is lifetimes of connections. This is yep. Thursday Zoom meetings. This is having, you know, my junior national team at my place or the Vikes over and having Ken come visit you in Toronto. The, those things are bigger than anything. And I it says a lot at that young of an age to be able to be that reflective. I don't think there's many of us are like that. I think we're very reactional at that time in our lives. Well, again, I've, you just mentioned the junior national thing. I mean, you know, I, I have always liked being part of a team. I'm still in contact with UBIC people and they, we talk about all that stuff. We keep in touch. The junior national team, that was a team, played for Canada 35 years ago now. We had a reunion at my place a couple of years, our 30th reunion where all the living members of the team were there and Ken came and the assistant coaches. Those are pretty special connections you don't really see in life. Uh, you know, and that's a team of people from all different backgrounds. Um, and to still keep in touch 30 years later with guys you met when you were 17 is pretty amazing. Yeah. And and you've listened to many episodes, and I think so many people have touched on the same thing, right? The championship's great. The, the losses stung. Some yeah. of the practices sucked. But I've got this pocket full of, you know, five to 12 people, depending on how the relationships went, that I can share these moments and always think of for the rest of my life. And, and in the end of the day, those are, that's what it's all about. Right. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So this, you know, some great runs, some great seasons playing for an absolute Canadian icon and legend. What's your body telling you as you're going into fifth year and, and what's the brain telling you in terms of uh, basketball for yourself at that point? Well, first of all, my fifth year, we had a new coach. We had Guy Vitri. Ken was not there. That's Ken right. abandoned, abandoned me for my fifth year. Um, <laughs> he had enough of you. I guess so. Um, but I guess, <laughs> so you, you know, weren't that old. You played for Guy Vitri, man. Come on. I did. His first yeah. year. 
he yeah. wasn't a big fan of, of, of there's <laughs> me, 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 Spencer and Tom Johnson were kind of the holdovers. And yeah, I think he wanted his own guys basically. Um, Which is also interesting. We've talked to many people have, you know, started programs or taken over at a program and, and there is that, right. It's not a, yeah. it's not a, Hey, I don't think you're a good player. It's just, you're not my kind of player and you're not someone I see in your vision, right. Kev has gone through that. Yeah. Um, you know, Dave DeVero, so many guys, and it's just part of it. Right. Well, but we were all like national team. Well, this is, all, this players, is so, kind of the weird so, part. Yeah. There was some skill but, there. It's not like sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we're going to, yeah, yeah, I know, I know you've had lots of guests on who obviously played pro after university and there was not a lot of interest in that by me or certainly in me. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. This is a different era. Uh, you, you really had to be pretty proactive in doing that. And I, you know, I was a good student. I wanted to move on to other things. Um, I did tell you, I did play, I played one pro game in my life, um, because I went and visited, uh, Spencer McKay and Tom Johnson when they were playing in Belgium. And this is three or four years after I finished playing at UVic. So I was, uh, I was working as an accountant and I had nothing to do during the day. So I'd go practice with their team. And, you know, I was, you know, I could hang, hold my own, at least with the the non-imports, the Belgian guys. And they were playing an exhibition game against a French team, which actually had Bruce Bowen on it. And, uh, the coach said to me, do you want to play? I was like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Because <laughs> here's a uniform you can dress. You know, he goes exhibition game. I'm not sure I'll get you in, but whatever. And uh, our team uh, actually got down by 20 or something. And I, he put me in and I swear I've never shot better in a three minute span in my life. I hit five threes. And the, the funny part of the story is the coach knew me as Jeff, but he didn't know my last name and he had to put me in the scorers book. Yeah. So he just put me as Jeff Canada and this, there was a couple thousand people or whatever. So there's an announcer and whatever I would score, you know, basket Jeff Canada. And of course all the, the imports and the other team, they, all the imports know each other in these leagues. And they're like, yeah. who's this guy? There's these, they start talking crash to me. And, and Spence just walks up to the guy who he knew and said, do you realize you, you're getting scored on by an accountant here? And that sort of ended the debate for that, but it was <laughs> my one and only pro game. I retired after that. <laughs> Did you steal the Jersey? I should have. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You should have yeah. <laughs> funny moments like that overseas, man. And <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Jeff Canada. I love it. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor Parkside Brewery located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row. Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A hoop's journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. After a brief hiatus, Good Lad Clothing has returned, but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a hoop's journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. Speaking of Spencer, you gotta tell us the free throw story. See, we started scrambling and, uh, and yeah. Oh yeah, Spencer won me so. So yeah, yeah, my my fifth year. You mentioned that year. 
I, I was, a, you know, I was a good fellow shooter. I shot for my career, I think 90%. And uh, that year I got off to a, a, a huge streak at the beginning of the year. I can't remember the number, but it was in the fifties. And now we're in February and we're playing UBC. And uh, I go to the line, hit the first shot, line up the second shot. And Kevin Otwell, who was a really good small forward for us, a uh, great athlete. I'm about to shoot my shot. He steps in the lane, which back then voided your fellow shot for my first miss of the year before I even got to shoot and uh, ruining my streak and all the rest. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking as well? Hey, I wanted to get the rebound. I'm like rebound. I have not missed the entire year. Maybe hold off on the, on the rebound concern. Uh, but I, I did miss a few, few after that. So it did, didn't ruin the perfect year, thankfully. But although if you look at, if you look at the Canada West records, Is it count the I, am miss? Sec- I am second all time in free throw shooting by like decimal points. So, you know, if I would have made one more free throw, I would be first. So there you go. It's messed up and let's pause for station identification. That is, no kidding. that's terrible. Yeah. I would Spencer ever want to bring that story up. Jeez. Oh, he loves it. He's trying to torment you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think before we get into some fun questions, I think part of life after basketball for you has been very interesting you know with the, the stuff that i've read about you and then the conversations we've had you know you're well yeah i'll tell yeah. you i think i know where you're headed here so to be, you're given that time. It's, uh, you've, you've you know you've done some pretty cool things you've started some pretty neat adventures and you've had some pretty amazing experiences um and you've mentioned working on teams and this is the connection i love about the podcast that growing up around teams and on teams your whole life the transition into work life you know we we have some of those things intrinsically right they just sort of start to come out because we've learned them through sport and i think that says a lot because the success that you've had is yes your hard work and your determination but also understanding dynamics and things aren't going well for me how do i work through it or i'm kind of the lead scorer here how do i get others involved right super important Mm -hmm. yeah you know different roles fitting into those roles accepting those roles also, you know, maybe an underrated thing when you, you, you know, you're a coach, you've been a player, you are forced to, or you like to singularly focus on something. Not every person that goes to university has, has to have that focus on one activity. Mm-hmm. And when you're working in a job that can be pretty intense, that's, you're used to that. Like this has to be my focus, whether it's Saturday or whether it's Tuesday night or whatever, and not everyone's grown up that way. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So I, I think that's also very helpful. But yeah, I have been fortunate. I work in, you know, like I said, private equity investing. And uh, I, I, d- I did that for seven years in New York uh, for a big firm there. I did it for seven years in Seattle working for Paul Allen, who co-founded Microsoft. And, and, uh, and the last seven years, I've done it in Toronto working for the Canada Pension Plan. Um, but but the New York, you know, the New York was pretty... Uh, I'll just tell you this story because Coach K is in his last tournament here. Um, we, my, my boss was kind of a high flying guy, like, you know, big pioneer in our industry, billionaire, uh, dated princess die dated Elizabeth Hurley, this sort of, you know, yep. the, the Thomas crown kind of, uh, <laughs> oh, good reference. Kind of guy. So, yeah. and he would have this annual event where he would invite people from the leaders in the world, literally from business, from politics, from sports, and they'd be about a hundred people in there, significant others, and they get they talk about ideas. So I would get to be part of this, not because I was, you know, wouldn't have been invited other than just working for for this guy. I mean, but you know, I was there and I participate. And 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 every year the people that organized it, they work for us, so they they knew me and say, 
anyone you'd like to sit with at lunch or dinner. And I, one year was coach Hay was there. So I said, Oh, I'll sit with him. So, uh, so casually I'll sit with him, <laughs> sit down for lunch. And, the uh, there, you know, start, well, no, I start, you know, I say to him, Hey, I'm a big, and he's there. Like, he's just one of that. That's the kind of people who are there. So, but, but people know who he is, obviously he's a bit more well publicly known than some, at least. And, um, I say, oh, I'm a big, big basketball fan. And, you know, I'm sure everybody on earth says that to him. He doesn't really know, you know. So I can just see his eyes glaze over and he's like, oh, God, I'm, just, I'm here to meet all these interesting people and talk about these interesting things. And I'm, I'm here with this guy. I have no idea who this is. And I'm going to have to talk about, uh, you know, Christian Leitner hitting a shot against Kentucky. Um, so in that moment, I think to my, I say, this is my moment. If I'm going to have a real dig in conversation here, I better do it. So I, I say, yeah, I've, I've followed you for, for since you started at Duke because, uh, you know, I was I was really into college basketball. I wanted to be a college basketball player. And the fact that you had Danny Mahar on your team, uh, I really followed you because of that. And for those of your listeners who don't know, Danny Mahar is from St. Catharines, Canadian guy, six seven, bruising kind of player, not a scorer or anything, yeah. but just yeah. like a really tough guy. And he his whole demeanor changes. He looks at me and he goes, all seriousness, I love Danny Mahar. I was like, Oh, well, great. You know, uh, he goes, how do you know Danny Mahar? And I said, well, I, you know, I've met him a couple of times, you know, Canada. I talked, went a little bit of Canada and friends know him. And he goes, do you know how many uh, final fours I would have made at Duke without Danny Mahar? And I know Danny Mahar didn't make one himself. They made it the year after him. Uh, he goes zero because without Danny Mahar, I would have been fired because he was the toughest SOB in that team. And that team needed toughness. We had all these soft guys and without him, I would have been fired. And then he turns to his wife. He's like, this guy, this is Jeff. He knows Danny Mahar. Like, like I'm best friends with Danny, which I'm not. I right. met him in my life. Yeah. So that prompted this whole hour conversation, him and I laughing away. Like there's all these other people at our table. He'd be being completely ignored. And uh, his <laughs> wife comes up to me that night mickey and says can i speak to you for a minute and i said yeah she goes really stern look she goes you're not normal <laughs> I went, oh, now i'm freaking out right because i'm like oh my god somebody's reported the fact that i've monopolized this guy's time or whatever and then she she looks at my looks she, she i started sort of stammering and uh, she says oh no she goes i'm kidding she goes you know mike has to do those do these things all the time and talks to a lot of people and you know he's he likes it because they're fans but you know it's it gets a little bit old he he said he came to me after that luncheon and said i really enjoyed that that was so awesome that was the most fun basketball conversation because we were talking like we were getting into the real deep cuts here (laughs) you're going into your archives he's asking me about my career i'm like believe me by the end of it he thought i was the greatest player in canadian history (laughs) but uh but uh uh, no it was it was a really cool thing so that's awesome How, how does one in what you do how other than just trusting yourself in your decision making how do you not get anxious or nervous for when you know it's going to be like, a, you know, you're going to have a sit down with someone like Tiger Woods or Tom Brady or someone. And, and what is it that you trust in yourself and what do you rely on to, uh, to work through those meetings? Well, just to be clear, I'm not doing, doing that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was more in my past in New York, but, but, you know, you do meet with lots of powerful people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would guess the one thing you do, you know, you, you fall back on your own experiences like anything else. If you, if there are things you need to be prepared about, you're, you're prepared, mm-hmm. you know, talking about basketball with someone, I'm going to be very comfortable with that, but, but work stuff, you know, I have a great 
team around me, then they help me prep and they prep and, you know, pretty, you know, it's like any other job you do it enough. You're, you feel pretty comfortable. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I just, you know, yeah. and as a player, you're in high pressure moments too, right? So another thing that I think just translates to falling back and trusting yourself because you've put the time in, you know? Exactly. You, you, well, you know this, if you're, if you've done the, done the film work and you've done the work in the court, I mean, you might not win, but you feel prepared and you feel you, you could be able to do your best for it. Absolutely. All right, man. Ready to get into it a bit? Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Okay. Who are some of the top players that stand out for you um, during your career that you're, I mean, you've mentioned the JDs, right? The Spencers, yeah. Mike Clark, but. Is there someone along your way here, whether it was with Canada or something that you're like, whoa, like, I'm not sure we would have been able to handle that guy or we weren't able to handle that guy. <laughs> well, the best game I've ever seen somebody play was in the junior championships, junior world championships, or it was Tony Kukoc playing for Yugoslavia against the U.S. He was uh, 12 for 13 from three. Oh, no, sorry. 11 for 12 from three and a dunk. And he had like 37 points because he had a couple of free throws. And they beat the U.S. pretty handily. They had, they had him, they had Divac, Dino Raja. So they had quite a team. So that was, I mean, 11 for 12 from three. For a guy, by the way, who's known as a passer. Right. Impressive. Um, the best games I played in really were the pickup games at UVic. You'd have, yeah. you know, every guy there was somehow connected to the national team. And, and the guys that weren't were guys like, you know, Tom Narbashuber or Dale Olson, guys like that who are really tough. But you have you have Spence, you have Kaz, you have Howard there, you have Eli, you have Kelly Dukeshire. And then all the guys in the team, like the Wade Lukes and Jerry Dovokis and, you know, Tom Johnson's there. So these games and and the most intense guy playing, of course, is Ken Shields himself, who's not afraid to use all his tricks with various you know knuckles into your chest and all this kind of stuff and he was you know you didn't want to lose certainly with any of those guys there it was, it was just very intense so those were really fun games i think we missed those we missed those open gym run days where guys from all over would just come and compete where it was like do, do those not happen i don't know they don't not like you really? used to man yeah not like it used to no i sound like too much of a whatever they call it old head but yeah it's not as not as common i would say Really? Hmm. A lot of individual skill work and like right. continuing to play against the same guys, right? So, hmm. yeah. Shout out Wade Lukes. He was an assistant at Terry Fox when I was in high school. There. He was. He was on that first uh, team down in Arizona with me. Nice. And obviously, obviously in, in, in fact, he was a finalist in the dunk contest there. Coach Lukes had it like that, hey? Yeah. Nice. Read much? Yeah, I'm a big reader. I really okay. do, do like to read. And obviously, the pandemic has only increased that with of course. isolation. Give us a... Uh, is there one you're reading right now or is there something all time? Doesn't have to be sports related. Let us know what your brain goes into when you have some I just I actually just time. finished that Coach K book, um, which just came the out. The new one? Yeah, the new one. Just How was that. it? It was good. They tried yeah. to be somewhat balanced. Um, it, the, the book should be called Why Coach K Hates Bobby Knight. That's really the, <laughs> the book. Um, and he's got he's got some pretty good reason, uh, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> But speaking of that, there's a, that's another good one. A Season on the Brink of Bobby Knight was a good one. Yeah. Um, non-sports. There's a book, if you like finance, which I'm sure not tons of your listeners are t- into. There's a book called Barbarians at the Gates, which actually got made into a movie as well. And I, That book changed my life because I started reading about the industry I'm in now. Yeah. And it happens to be about the firm I worked for in New York. Remember that guy I was talking about, Ted Forsman? It's about him and a rival firm bidding on 
uh, RGR Nabisco, so tobacco and cookies essentially, back in the 80s, and it was this big mega deal. And again, it was interesting enough, they made it into a movie, and that, uh, ironically, again, I ended up working for one of the firms, and that's really what made me go to business school in the first place. So so you would cool. recommend for someone who's a young business person? like that's Yes. A, yeah. That's kind of the book in the industry. Cool. Cool. Um, what was the... What was the magazine that came out for college? You, you mentioned you, you were on a few subscription lists. It was one that would rank Street all- and Smith or Blue Street Ribbon? Smith. Street yeah. and Smith. That yeah. was always in my stocking every year, man. Yeah. Good old Santa Claus, man. Yeah. That just came to my mind as reading when you were talking about reading. Um, ketchup on macaroni? I don't eat ketchup, <laughs> period. I haven't had ketchup since I was seven years old or something. Yes, this podcast goes along. There's more people in your lane there, Mr. McKay, that just have got rid of ketchup altogether. Is there a reason why? Not a fan? You you know, you're... It's eating... not like the taste of it. Yeah. No, like, no, it's... No, I'm not, I'm not a big condiment person, period. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you, you have a burger. What What's going on it? Whatever the sauce that comes with Cheese, it? Cheese, lettuce, mayo. Okay. That's it. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Hey, it's your burger, man. You can do what you there want you with it. Dead or alive, best seat in the house. What concert are you going to? Bob Marley. I think, uh, first of all, I love the music. I think it'd be a really eclectic crowd, really diverse crowd. And like some of the messages in his music. So I think, uh, and obviously that's one I haven't seen. So lots of the ones I might might pick I've seen. But, uh, and uh, I think that'd be really fun. Does he have a, do you have a specific venue that you could think of? You ever been to the Gorge? I have. What a, uh, that was one of the wildest places I've ever been. That was pretty. Yeah, cool. when I was in Seattle, that would, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Bob Marley, you'd probably want it to be in Jamaica, I would think. Right, like sure. beach in the background or something. Yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah, awesome. Um, who have been some of the most important people in your life? Um, you know, my parents, and we've talked a lot about my dad because he has a direct connection to basketball. But my mom is has been every bit as important. Uh, you know, my dad was a coach, so he wasn't, he was traveling often himself on the weekends. So taking me to these games and being at all the games and dropping me off and picking me up, that was often my mom. And, you know, my dad instilled a lot of the competitive side of things. And my mom instilled hopefully the other side of things as well. Oh, you know, the more empathetic side of things. So they've been very, very important in my life. And uh, beyond them, I would say Ken Shields for sure. He and I are very close. We talk probably monthly at least. Um, he's helped me with some business stuff. He, he is a coach. He, obviously, he helped me in university. He was a great coach. And again, we didn't agree in everything, but we always respected each other. I know I respected him for sure and taught me a lot about competing and life. Again, we're, we're still close. He comes out here for a fair, fair amount, stays with me. We go to games together. Um, so just, I mean, I'm not, I know that I'm 17th person on your podcast to mention him but I, I would certainly have him up there as well well i think it doesn't matter i think it just says volumes about who he was to to so many people right and and like you mentioned still up to this point right and how many well us... again i still yeah. this is obviously i'm not involved in basketball professionally anymore but at all but he's but he's in a completely different profession i've sought his yeah. counsel on personnel types of things you know in a formal way in some ways um, as, as a as a real coach, and he's helped me with that as well. So that's kind of the ultimate show of respect in that sense. I would agree. That's powerful stuff. If you could go back to one game, what game would it be? Good, bad, in between? Well, I've already talked about the... <laughs> is, is the outcome the same, or can I change it? If I could change it to be the, the Killarney game. But, yeah, but you no, could change it. 
No, I, but I'll, okay. I'll try to be more. I'll, 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 I'll guarantee happiness, which is <laughs> a game we beat UBC. It's uh, Ken actually mentioned it on his episode with you. I think it's one of his favorite games where we were down one to UBC. Uh, it's probably 89, 88. And the ball goes out of bounds under their basket. Mike Clark, Mike Clark and I talk about this all the time. There is dispute as to how much time was left on the clock. <laughs> I say six seconds, he says five. Uh, but they inbound it and took to Mike, and Mike holds it over his head, waiting to get fouled. One because he is a good foul shooter. Two because anytime he can get cheap points, he's he's up for that. Um, <laughs> yes. but, but we didn't foul him, so they called five seconds, and we got the ball into their basket. And Ken drew up a play for me to sort of pop out. Uh, to the three-point line and or near to it and, and take the shot. But I read it and just curled under the basket. Perry Scarlett was checking me. He was a great defender, but got caught on the screen, and I was all alone under the basket and just laid it in. And uh, he always talks about that as one of his favorite plays. So uh, I'll definitely go back to that because I was going to say to relive it, but I relive it with Clark every couple of months as it is, so that's fine. That's gratifying enough, hey? Yeah. Exactly. If only we had some grainy vhs footage you know oh, there probably is somewhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we'll find out how much time there actually was left but apparently it was six because well, even if it was, if it was five, would have been it's over not ex- it's not exactly five you still yeah. have room for- yeah i can hear the arguments already i can <laughs> yes, hear the exactly. yeah i can put myself right in there okay so you don't do the sodium but if you're gonna grab a bag of chips what are you going to oh he's got them whoa <laughs> there they are the hard bites you got a natural yeah, I told you I don't like plain or condiments. I like the plain. Yes, there it is, right there. Yeah, like we talked about at the start here, um, how the, how our season went and stuff. Elgin Park head coach Kirk Hominick, owner of oh, Hard Bite Chips. Yep, I had no idea. Oh. Yeah, did an amazing job with his kids. Ended up losing in the final, but uh, they had a good run. So there you go. We got another Hard Bite guy. Awesome. Yeah, I've already got them in the back of our car because we're leaving for our anniversary tomorrow. So I was like. We're taking some hard bite. What what a, what a charmer! Big anniversary gift. Chip. <laughs> no, no, these are for me here, pal. Oh, okay. no, 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 Reagan's not getting any of those. <laughs> I mean, ten years married. I mean, sometimes chips are the. Absolutely, chip charms, anniversary. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Who would you like to see on Hoop's journey? I told you. I told you. I have two, and I know you want more diversity on the podcast. Uh, the first, in fact, made the final forward last night in NCAA Division II. She is a Penticton native like myself. She was a BC high school champion. She was an NAIA All-American as a player. She has well over 600 wins now as a coach at Western Washington. And they are, in the, like I said, in the final four now, uh, Division II as we speak. So Carmen Dolfo. And I have put up feelers to her on that, so I'll have to follow up. That oh, would be one. And I would say secondly, that maybe uh, Hoops Journey is probably near the top of her priority list right now, but uh, not quite. Yeah, you know, it might, it might take a you know, might take a while. <laughs> Hopefully for her, there's a parade she has to attend. That would be nice. Yes. Uh, and then secondly, I would uh, go with JD Jackson, who's a very good friend, and uh, I think almost obviously he's not overlooked as a player in BC, but because he's been in Europe since he was 22 or whatever, not as well known. He and I, you know, he's a very close friend. As I said, he. Uh, was a great player in Europe, <clears throat> um, played, you know, in EuroLeague, highest level. Uh, there's literally a statue of him in uh, in one of the teams he played for, Le Mans. Is there really? 
There is, and then yeah. he yeah became a coach as well and led them to yep. the French Championship uh, in in Lyon, which is Tony Parker's team. Um, he's now at a different team, but the the stories he could probably tell. He also has coached with Canada re- recently on, the, on those on those qualifying teams. Mm-hmm. So whenever he comes here, he stays with me. So uh, again, a little bit off the off the radar, I think, to a lot of people. But you know, great player, obviously, but also great coach and lots of stories and can tell you everything you want to know about Europe. I mean, he's not off the radar for me, but. Is this story, is the story about MJ saying he's one of the tougher defenders he's faced? Is that true? MJ Michael Jordan? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> really? The year they had they had the qualifier, uh, they played the dream team, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he played against I mean, I remember JD talked a little trash to him. I don't think Michael Jordan said he's one of the top, top defenders. Oh, my God. Okay. So he's not that good then. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, anyone that's in BC should know. Maybe the name he told JD you Jackson. that somebody. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Put it this way: if, if that is the is the case, he's been awfully silent about it to me, which wouldn't, which would seem odd. <laughs> so. He forced a quote onto his Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's all lies. No, I'm kidding. Awesome, man. This has been a great episode. You know, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Your yep. your your histor- historical basketball bar is crazy, and then love that you're still you know actively watching from afar. You know, you you stay involved in terms of that and supporting. Um, when you think about things, if you could do it all, like, do it all again, you would what? Well, it goes a little bit. The only thing I would change. I mean, it's been great. The only thing I would change a little bit is going back to those years where I was a bit. I was certainly not a tentative player at all in high school. I big swore and all that, but in my first couple years, you Vic. And watching guys like JD, who just, you know, we, we're all sons, we're, he and I are sons of coaches, for example. And you, you, I, I at times defaulted when things weren't going great into trying to make the right play, whereas certain other guys, him or like a Joey Vickery, if you know Joey, like they just say, they'll, they'll do what the coach wants. But ultimately, Tom Johnson's a bit like this too, or was. At some point, they just go, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but screw it. Eli Pasquale was 100% like this, but screw it. This is what I'm going to do, and yeah, let the chips fall where they may. And that wasn't my attitude, and I wish a little bit I had been a bit more like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ironic because I say, son of a coach, so that's how I sometimes defaulted to. My dad, that isn't what he preached at all. He was the exact opposite of the defaulting into what the coach says. He was always very much like, no, read the play and go for it kind of thing. And then, mm-hmm. and I, I wish I'd done a bit more of that and been a bit more aggressive. I think I could have bit, done a bit better. Um, but overall, very pleased with how things went in, in hindsight. For sure. And I'm sure at some point uh, since those moments, you've let the chips fall a few times and, and figured it out, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Live and learn. Yeah, you got it. Uh, any last reflections before we let you go, sir? Thank you for your no, time no, today. Yeah, just one, which is, I mean, I'm really uh impressed by what you're building here i think it's really cool and i think it's uh i, I don't know what motivated you to start it but i'm sure glad you did i mean i i've you know all the people that i in 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 have encountered over the years that i've listened to have very much enjoyed those episodes but also learned a lot about guys or women whose names i'd heard and didn't know as much about or people i'd never heard of at all so i i've become a pretty devoted listener so i really do appreciate it yeah well we appreciate the support it's just been a fun little adventure and we kind of let our own chips fall and to see what happened. And it's been really cool to see the response. And we're super grateful that people connect to it and, and that you stay loyal to also, even if you don't know someone to give them a listen, because you can take something away. So, you know, thanks for all that support. All right, cool. Thank you. Great episode. Thanks to Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing, Mr. Jeff McKay, the free throw champ himself. We'll see you on the next episode.